want to welcome those joining us online. We are so glad you're able to do that as well. I want to remind you that you are always welcome here. If sometime you want to come in person, we would love to get to meet you face to face. We'll begin our worship in just a few minutes.
please stand and join me as we sing. If uh, you're in the lobby, please come on in, find a place. We are glad you're here. Let's worship God together this morning. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for You may be seated. I want to welcome you here this morning. My name is Scott Sela. I serve as one of the ministers here at Western Hills, and we are glad you are here with us. If you are new with us or if you're new checking us out online, we'd love to connect with you. If you go to westernhills.church on your smart device or tablet, uh, you will find this thing right here that looks pretty much just like that. And at the very top, it says new here. If you click that, you can share some information about yourself, and we'll share some more information about the Western Hills Church and uh, get you connected where you want to get connected. Also on that as well, you can find resources that tie to our time in here together with scriptures and music, as well as a way to give and to stay connected with our weekly newsletter and things happening uh, in ministry that's going on through this church. So I encourage you to do that as well. As you came in, hopefully you picked up a, one of the communion elements as you came in. If not, they're available on the floor as I drop them. Uh, they're available right here in the middle or again at the doors where you came in. Uh, we're going to be standing and singing in a few minutes, and if you didn't get those, you can do that then as well. This morning, I want to remind you that we're in a new series. It's called uh, Beyond Religion. We're just a few into that, and Scott Meyer is doing some uh, stuff to take it beyond uh, the sermon. During the week, he's pushing out uh, extra resources, uh, video links, lots of other items. And if you want to be involved in that and get that straight to your phone, just text BEYOND to that number right there, and it will sign you up, and you'll receive those as well. So I encourage you to do that. This morning, we also like to highlight uh, important things going on in the life of our church. Uh, last week, we celebrated the 70th anniversary of the Wallaces. And it's not quite 70th, but it's the 90th birthday of our own Ray Odin back here. They celebrated that this week. He turned 90 years young. I asked Ray if they had 90 candles, and he said no. They had three, and he got two out of the three. And he felt good. So uh, we celebrate with uh, the Odin family, and we are glad to have uh, them here with us. If you would, please stand with me. Today we're going to be uh, beginning our worship with a reading from Romans as we focus on the incredible power and might of God and how he guides our lives and how he is way beyond who we are, but he invites us in together to worship him in his throne room.
from Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of God? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Today we praise that God. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. 
From a young age, I've always been amazed at the power of a good story. And when I was first introduced uh, to this thing called the Prairie Home Companion, it was a radio show. I'll explain radios to you teens later. Um, it was a radio show, and the first time I encountered that, I thought, this is amazing, listening to a guy named Garrison Keeler tell stories. I didn't really even care what the story was about, because the way he told it. And stories have the ability to capture your imagination, to capture not only your mind, but your heart. And we have the most wondrous story to tell. We have the story of Jesus, how he came as a baby, vulnerable, to ultimately die on the cross for us and be raised again. And I know that the first followers of Jesus in those first days of the church told the story over and over and over again. And I believe that for centuries, as Christians gathered together in small homes, in small places, sometimes hiding from persecution, they told the story again and again. They recounted things that Jesus taught. They recounted things that Jesus did as they shared together in the bread that represented his body, as they shared in the cup that represented the blood that he shed. So my encouragement this morning is as you partake in the bread, as you partake in the cup, let your mind go to those stories, those stories of Jesus reaching out to touch a leper, of walking on the water, of talking about how you are the salt and light. Think of those stories and let those shape your communion with him this morning. So right now, let's sing about this wondrous story.
Join me in prayer for the bread. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather as believers this morning, for the invitation to sit at your table. And most of all, we thank you for the gift of your son, who not only came to this earth to walk and live with us, but to endure the suffering that was meant for us. We ask that you bless this bread that represents his body broken on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. continue our prayer. Father, again, we come before you grateful for the gift of your son and the life that he gave so that we may inherit eternal life with you. Bless this cup that represents his blood poured out to cover our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the great parts of story is the triumphant ending. And we have that in this wondrous story. Jesus came and died on the cross, but that wasn't the end of the story. He also walked out of that grave as Savior and as King to show his amazing love for us. May that shape your week this week.
Good morning, good morning. Okay, so at this time, we are going to get ready to dismiss our kiddos that are three through third grade to go to children's church that we call crew worship. We are going to go down this hall. And I think that last week, y'all saw some um, secret footage of crew. And so I also wanted to remind you that for every 10 Raptor moments, you get one of these moments. So if you would like to sign up to volunteer and to help and to love on our raptors slash adorable puppies, please let me know. All right, we're using our walking feet. We're grabbing a small friend. Let's go, let's get it. How many of you want to take care of raptors? <laughs> Who are my puppy people? Okay, so either way, you got puppies, you got raptors.
turn to somebody next to you, tell them you're glad they're here, and have a seat, please. Find your seat, grab your scripture journal, or grab your Bible, please. I am grateful that you are here. We are in a series where we're exploring, we typically in church we call them the books of the Bible, but that seems a little misleading because it's like books all wrapped up into one book. There, what we're talking about today is a particular letter that we have. It's an ancient letter, and it was written by a man named Peter. And you're probably familiar with Peter on some level, even if perhaps you're not very familiar with church itself. That name, you may have heard of uh, the Apostle Peter or St. Peter. Well, Peter was a follower of Jesus, and when Peter started his journey, he was a faithful Jewish man. And he had to come face to face that God was doing something new in the person of Jesus. And so his religion of the past was not going to sustain his future. And so he in, went into a, a personal reorientation of his world as he followed Jesus... And then he began to write, as he served the church and served Jesus, he began to write letters. And he, we have some letters that he wrote, First and Second Peter. And that's what we're exploring. Because we're looking at the issue, or we're looking at the struggle of what happens when, in our culture today, how do you hang on to your faith? And many of you are aware of, or perhaps you have gone through this process yourself, of really questioning your faith, and on some level, abandoning faith, or at least ready to throw your hands up saying, it's too complicated, it's too difficult. And what we're doing the series is exploring, how do you move simply beyond religion? And by that I mean where you just kind of go through the motions, where you just sort of go through the rituals, but they're, they're devoid of any kind of meaning or guide in your life. Last week we talked about the temptation to fall into just rule-keeping. And what Jesus is inviting us to, what God is calling us to, is not simply show up, keep the rules, sort of keep your area clean, and you'll be fine. No, he's inviting us into a holy life. A life that's set apart and dedicated to him. And if you haven't had a chance to see some of these sermons, I want to encourage you to go back. We've got them online, and we've got them in the podcast. And I encourage you to follow along with that. I know some of you are just so, you don't want to have a blank anywhere in your journal. So, so you're already on that, and I appreciate, appreciate that. But I want this to be a place where you can go back to again and again and see these words. Not my words, but the words from this man that went through this questioning of his own faith and reorientation of his world, and understanding with a whole new worldview that there's something beyond simply religion and going through the motions. Because honestly, if it were simply about going through the motions, at some point we should all just abandon it, right? 
But there's a call beyond that. So today, I want us to move into chapter 2. But I want to start by laying out two fundamental questions of our culture right now. And these are questions that at some point, if you haven't asked yourself yet, that's because you're not yet in junior high. Okay? You're going to ask these questions at some point in your life. And for many of them, it's how they approach these questions and it's how they answer these questions that will either solidify your faith because you're seeking the answers in the right place or it will begin to sap your faith away from you because some of you have gone through these questions or you know someone that you've loved and they've gone through these questions and these two questions, when you see them in just a second, you're going to know because culture wants to answer these questions for you. Culture has answers for these questions. Here are the two questions. Who am I and where do I belong? I'm going to argue that these are some of the most fundamental questions that we wrestle with in our life. And some of you ask them very directly and you have seasons of life or you have a time in life where you're wondering, who, who am I? Where, where do I fit into the big scheme of things? Where, where does my part come in this great big story of, of life? Where do I belong in that? And maybe it's a real intense time or it's just something that's always nagging in the back of your head and you're just kind of always wondering because you don't feel like you fit in some where see these are our questions that can and will drive us and as i said before there is a tremendous effort in our culture to answer these questions for you the struggle is culture's answers don't seem to be very helpful because culture is trying to get you to find and define your own identity Years ago, a sociologist and Christian pastor named Tony Campalo, he would work with college students in, as he, in his professor life, and, and he said it always happened about sophomore year. But about the sophomore year, the students in his classes and on the campus, they started wrestling with the who am I question. And their goal was, if I could just peel back all the layers of responsibility and all the, the ideas, identities that have been pressed up on me by my parents and by my church and by society, if I could just kind of peel these back and keep peeling these back and keep peeling these back and get down to the true me. And Tony Capallo then asked this great question. He said, what happens if you go through that and you're going to try to shed all these different personalities, all these different identities, all these different responsibilities that have been placed on you, and you're going to try to shed all these and you're going to get down to the very core of who you are and you discover that you're just an onion. <laughs> that it's just what you are actually is a layer upon a layer of responsibilities and identities given to you. But society is really our culture. We live in a culture that is telling us, if you will just look inside deep enough and reflective enough, you'll find the answers. This is why identity is such a big topic in our world today. 
And everybody is encouraged to look inside to find their own determinant. This is why we have phrases like, your truth and my truth. And you've got to be true to your truth. And I'm supposed to be true to my truth. And if we're each true to our truths, however that's defined, inside of you internally, you can supposedly find your identity. This is where I've quoted him before, but another Christian author named Frank Peretti, who spoke on this very issue, said, if you're trying to find yourself inside of yourself, that's a bad place to look because you're the one that's confused. And the second part is just like, is once I discover my identity, where do I belong? How do I fit in, in, in this world? What's my group? What's, what's the, the, who are my people that I, run, that I run around with? This will date me now. Years ago, there was a sitcom whose theme song began, Sometimes You Want to Go Where Everybody Knows Your Name. I'm not the only one that watched that, huh? That was from a sitcom called Cheers. Cheers. Cheers was a story about a group of people in a bar. Not a glamorous group of people, not, not a sexy group of people, not a successful group of people, just people that came together. And the reason I believe that the show was so compelling is because even though they were kind of oddballs and misfits at the time, they had a place where everybody knew their name. And they had a place to belong. And there was something about that show that tapped into the need of all of us to say, where do I fit? Where do I belong? Where can I go and show up and somebody's going to know that I'm there and they're going to care that I'm there? Who, who wouldn't want that? This is one of the reasons that gang affiliation is so powerful. Because it comes at a time in a young man's life, usually a young man in his life when family is broken down and a father figure is gone, but there is a family that's coming together to say, you can be part of us. Now, it costs you a lot, but you can be part of us. Who am I and where do I belong? And, and the problem is that culture will always bait you in a certain direction, and then when you go too far, it will then kick you back out. As soon as it tells you you belong, then you run the danger of suddenly losing your belong status. This is why we have what is now popularly known as cancel culture. You can be on the inside crowd for a long, long, long time, and then when the winds change and the preference goes something different, the whim of the crowd, whoever, however they're defined, Suddenly they can dig up an old tweet that you sent years ago or a Facebook post and then begin to cancel you and suddenly you're out again. Now, there's a certain generation in here you're like, that doesn't even begin to affect me. But the younger you get, you know how, how real this is. And so Peter is going to address this very thing. And we're going to see what it is to move beyond religion to belonging and who you belong to, and where you find your 
identity. So if you would, I'm going to read our passage for today. I want you to follow along. I really want you in your journals or in your Bibles if you've got that. And so we're going to do this one just a little different. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'm going to read 1 through 10. But we're not going to put it on the screen just yet. I've got it coming. But I want you to follow along in your, in your extra journal. And I want you to circle and underline anything that jumps out at you. Because I want you to be able to go back after we've had this sermon together and go through this in some time in your own. So with this idea in front of us of where do I belong and who am I, who am I, I want you to hear these words. So put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you and who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. <coughs> Excuse me. Go back, I want you, we're going to start at the end, verse 9. <clears throat> I want you to look at what Peter's words are here. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. He is giving them a whole set of new labels. Anybody ever try to label you? Anybody try to put you in a box? We do this often now. The whole goal, it seems, of culture is to put you in some box. If we can figure out what group you belong in, what voting pattern you belong in, what victim group you might belong to, whatever your abilities or disabilities are. If we can put enough labels on you, the idea is that somehow we're all going to get unified from that, but that's the lie because what it does, it starts breaking us apart and fracturing us. This is at the heart of some of our racial tension that goes on in our country today because we're trying to be so broken apart by it, so identified and separated by it. Notice what he says. He says, you are a chosen race. 
And they were fractured in the first century, by the way. They didn't have it all together. They were as layered and as fractured as we are. He says, but you're a chosen race. Out of that, God reaches in and pulls out a, creates a chosen race. Now, you may have one ethnic identity, but God is creating a new people, is what he's saying. And he's coming together, and he's working to create this new race, this new grouping of people. And then he goes on. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This is what God, through Peter, is describing to this group of Christians, these believers that are just trying to hang on to their faith in a culture that's not going to support them in any way whatsoever. It's going to challenge them at every turn. And so, as we wrestle with the question that they were wrestling with, who am I in all this? The first thing that Peter wants them to know, that God wants you to know, is simply this. Identity is not found in who you are, but whose you are. Your identity is found in whose you are. So this goes against the let me look deep inside of myself. And I'm not telling you not to be reflective. I'm not telling you not to come to grips with some things that may have happened in your past. That's not the point. But your ultimate identity does not come from within. Again, back to just the layers of the onion, but in whose you are. And so here's God, the one that created you, the one that knew you from the womb, is now telling you, here's who I made you to be. You are chosen. There's a powerful word in chosen, isn't there? I mean, it feels really good to be chosen. Anybody remember on the playground during recess and they broke up for teams? You didn't want to be the last guy standing, right? You know, you wanted to be chosen. And so on that day when somebody would point at you and say, you're over here, you're with us, you walked a little prouder. You know, I had no dodgeball skills, but, you know, I was just chosen. There's, there's power. The one that spoke light into existence says, I choose you. And then you're a royal priesthood. You're, you're holy. That's the priesthood part. We talked about that last week. You're set apart. You're chosen. You're You're, you're sanctified. And you're royal. You're a child of the king. This is who you are. And notice it says, a people for his own possession. When we say God is a jealous God, it's because he owns you. And he's going to protect and defend what he owns. And you're his possession. And so your identity doesn't come from who you are, but whose you are. If you're a sports fan, this will make sense. I could go down to, I could go down to um, Academy Sporting Goods, and I could choose a jersey off of the, the rack of, in, of a sporting team that's supported you know, locally or in the state of Texas. By that... I could wear it for a week. When I get done wearing that jersey, does the value go up or down 
by the end of the week. It goes down. Now, if you take a jersey and you put it on the back of your favorite quarterback and he plays one game in it, does that jersey go up or down in value? It goes up. Because it matters who owns it. Your value, who you are, is of unsurpassable worth because of who owns you. And the second thing I'd have you know is this. The Christian identity is the only identity that's received, not achieved. Your idea as Christian is not based on the fact because you were able to have a clean resume. It's not based on the fact of how many times you attended church. It's not based on the fact of how much money you gave to church. It's not based on the fact of whether or not you volunteered in the children's ministry or not. Our Christian identity is received. All other identities, I would argue, are achieved somehow. You worked for it, you cultivated it, or something was done to you that kind of gave you a, a wounded identity. And you have to kind of maintain something somehow. You have to impress somebody. You have to improve yourself somehow. But the Christian identity, wherever you are, wherever you come into this conversation right now, when you come to Jesus, it's an identity that you receive, not achieve. This is why so, so many people are so confused. The idea that so many people have is that if I'm going to come to Jesus, i got to clean up my life, then come. We only, here's the inside secret. If you're not yet a believer in Jesus and you're a little confused on how it works, here's the inside secret, and I'm sorry that we don't talk about this enough. We come to Jesus and then he begins the process of cleaning up our life, not the other way around. We bring him broken material and he reclaims it. And he takes that which is discarded and turns it into something beautiful. And that's where Peter's going with this, by the way. So your Christian identity is the only one that's received. It's not achieved. It comes to you from a holy God that gave his son to earn that for you. Not because of something that you did. And the last thing I'd want you to know is this. <clears throat> Belonging to the church matters because the church belongs to Jesus. See, now we're getting into the where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Once you understand that whose I am and that my identity is not something that I work to achieve, but that you're coming, that's coming from God and it's a blessing on me, now we get to the point where we say, Say, where do I belong now? And this whole passage, Peter is saying, you belong in the body of Christ. You belong with the people of God. This is the whole deal where he's saying, you are now the living stones that he's bringing together and he's building up into this house, into this spiritual house. And the imagery that would have been in the first century in all the minds, particularly of the Jewish people, they would have thought of the temple. The temple that was in Jerusalem. When you hear the phrase Zion in this passage, Zion is another word for Jerusalem. And so they're thinking of this temple. And if you've ever been to the temple, it is a mighty impressive structure. Now, the temple part doesn't exist anymore. 
but the foundation stones that, that build up the Temple Mount do. And when you, when you tour the temple, they will show you one of the single largest cut stones in the world. And it's in the foundation of the Temple Mount. And he's saying, so they would have all seen the temple back in its day when it still existed on top before it was destroyed in AD 70. And they would have thought, this is where God is. This is where we come together for God. This is where we can go if you need to have an encounter with God. And now what Peter is saying is that God no longer takes up residence in the temple, but he's taken all of these stones that are you. And he's created at this place. Now it's in the gathering of my people where you belong together, a chosen race, united in the fact not by blood of kin, but by blood of Jesus. And together we come together and now God takes up his residence there. And wherever that gathering takes place, God is glorified and God is living. This is where God wants to live. This is where you belong. So why is it important to be to church? Because the church belongs to Jesus. I can't help but think, as Peter talks about, go back with me real quick. I'm going I'm to start back in verse 4 again. As you come to him, a living stone received by men but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves... Like living stones. So he's, he's gone from Jesus is the living stone to you're like Jesus. You're this living stone. And you're being built up in a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And you're going to offer spiritual sacrifice to acceptable God through Jesus Christ. And he talks about this building project that God's under. I, I just know that as Peter wrote this, he thought back to a very particular day in his life. He thought back to a time when he was just one of the twelve. They were traveling around with Jesus. And they go to a, to a particular place. And at this place, Jesus kind of whips around real quick. And he says, who do you say that I am? And you can find this in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, and he says, who do you say that I am? They'd been having a discussion about who they thought Jesus was. And they give different popular interpretations of the day. Oh, you're a prophet, you're a messenger, you're a teacher. And they go through this list. But Jesus says, who do you? No, I'm talking to you guys, the, the 12 that were with him, that were the closest. And Peter, the one that writes the letter that we're talking about now, he says this. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he makes a statement. He says, no, you're not simply a prophet. You're not simply a preacher. You're not one more teacher. You're not simply a political figure. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the son of the living God. And then Jesus responds. He tells something back to Simon. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. Now, at that point, he'd been called Simon. And he just gave him a nickname. Peter means rock. You're a rock with this. You're like rocky. That was a, a rocky thing to say. And on this rock, now, on this rock, Jesus is referring to 
the statement that Peter just made. You're, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That is a solid rock thing to say. And he says, that only comes from the person who's rock solid. So he gives Peter a nickname and says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I, I know as Peter writes this, he says, you're the living stones now. Peter, Jesus called me a rock. You're those rocks. He's using you and me, even as messed up and as awkward and as weird and as strange and as misfit as we are. He's taken all these, he's taken them from all nationalities. He's taken both men and women. He's taken from uh, all ages. He's taken from all kinds of backgrounds. He's taken from all, all levels of, of wealth. He's gathering these stones. These are precious stones. And in the name of Jesus, he's creating his church. And I know what Peter thought that day. He thought Jesus promised he would build it. Do you know that the church is the only thing that Jesus promises that he's going to build? And he lays down his life to build it? That's why belonging to church matters. Not because God takes attendance. Not because we need to fill these seats somehow. Because he's taking you and the person next to you and the person across the aisle that drives you crazy. And together he's creating a home where he dwells. This is why Cheers had it right. It just was the wrong location. You want to go where everybody knows your name. And you're not disqualified because of your past. You're not disqualified because of some sin that you've committed. Because it was never about your ability to improve. This is why I love the imagery of what it means to, you know, when you reclaim, like reclaimed wood. You know, that's a big, big DIY project for a lot of people. They'll go out and they'll find an old barn that's falling down and they'll reclaim the wood and they'll take wood that is scrap. It is old. It's being tossed out. And it's being reclaimed. And they turn it into something beautiful. And it's incredible because it's even then, if it's old wood, it's, it's the knot holes, it's the grain, it's the old saw marks. It's the wounds that suddenly take on a new, brilliant, beautiful, because there's a story there. And it's a story of redemption. And this is the story of redemption that God's telling Oh, yeah, it really matters. Now, I need to pause because I know that for many of you, as I say this, you're experiencing a memory of what we'll call church trauma. And there's some story in your background where you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm all in. And then something at church and church people or maybe a preacher that does what I do went sideways. Because let's be honest, sometimes church hurts, right? And 
some group of people that you trusted or you felt safe with, they told you suddenly you didn't belong. You'd crossed some line. You'd kicked you out. Or somebody in your family had, or, or whatever, whatever the reason. I, I want you to know, I don't take that lightly. I, I realize there are a lot of people, and perhaps this is part of your story, that you're starting to fade away from what it means to be a Christian, fade away from, from faith, and, and it really has to do with because you saw hypocrisy and hurt in a church. Can I speak into your story just for a moment? And it's not because I know everybody's story. But I do know that there is a common thread in everybody's story. If you were hurt by a church that said, you no longer belong here. Or you were hurt by the hypocrisy of a church. Underlying that was the fact that you were around a group of people that forgot whose they were. They forgot that Jesus is the one building the church. And they forgot that Jesus had taken their misshapen, castaway stone that's their life and had formed it into a precious stone to be a part of his church. And because they forgot, they thought that gave them some leverage over you. And I'm sorry. The more we come to understand what God's done in our life, the more we're going to stand and have grace fill for others. Look how he ends this. Verse 10. Once you were not a people... But now you're a God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you received mercy. Somebody forgot that they had received mercy. And they forgot to pass it on. But here's my encouragement for you then. Jesus knows your experience. Because you know he is the cornerstone. He's the large stone that's put in place first, that's solid. And even though everybody else passed over it, that's what, that's what Peter tells us. Jesus is the cornerstone. Everybody else rejected it. It's not right. doesn't fit. It's ugly. Whatever reason, looked over it and said, God said, no, I took that stone, my son, and I placed him at the corner. And now everything else can come in alignment with that. Jesus knows what it is to be rejected. And so now is one that knows it is to be rejected. He's the one inviting you to belong. So my question for you is this. How are you aligning your life? What are you building your life around? It can simply be religion where it's just going through the motions. Or it could be in relationship with the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. This is a moment oftentimes when I want to offer a prayer for you. We're going to do it just a little bit different because our shepherds that care for you, that lead this church, they want to be very active in the prayer. So I'm going to invite William Craig, one of our shepherds, to come up. And with you wrestling 
with what does it mean to belong to God, wherever you come from. I want to let Craig, William pray a prayer over you that you would come to understand that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And let that reality make it from your head all the way into your heart. William. Family, would you pray with me, please? God, I'm thankful that we're all here together this morning. Father, I'm thankful we're here together for the fellowship to hear your word preached. And God, grant us a full measure right now of your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand this idea of belonging. God, grant us the understanding that you love us, that you want us to be in your presence to belong, and that to belong, Father, Jesus is the path. And we know that, we acknowledge that. We know, Father, that you love us. Father, enable us each day in our life, no matter why we are here this morning, Father, we're all here together. And Father, because we're together, we acknowledge before you right now that we do belong. We do belong in your presence, and we belong, Father, in relationship with you because of your love for us, because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. God, you have given us a way to belong. Help us to know that. Help us to feel that. Help us to live that every day in our lives. God, thank you for just being here with us this morning. Thank you for the words that have been spoken, the worship that we have gathered and had together. God, thank you for this opportunity. And God, help us to use this opportunity every day to reflect in our lives the belonging we have with you. It's in the name of Jesus I pray, amen. If there's anything that we can do to encourage you, minister to you, we're going to stand and sing just one second here. And I'll be down front if you want to come visit with me. Our shepherds and their wives are going to be at the doors. I encourage you to take an opportunity to visit, visit them any way that we can bless you. If you're online with us and you want to use the church and text number, or text and church number, please do that. Reach out and we'll respond, respond to you. If you would, let's stand as we sing a song that's focused on the cornerstone that is Jesus. My hope is built on nothing less.
I want to encourage you to build those connections and that belonging that Scott talked about by being part of one of our second hour groups. There's lots of opportunities for adults, children, and students as well. Encourage you to do that. Reminder that one of those groups meets right in here afterwards. Uh, we'll start a countdown when we're done here, and so let them have this space uh, for their class. If you would, join me as we close in reading the grace together. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all forever and ever. Amen. Have a blessed day.